So today we're continuing on through the book of 1 Corinthians, and our tagline for this is a messy church on a big mission. Uh, Corinth had lots of internal problems to deal with, but they also had great opportunities being in a pagan city uh, in the Greco-Roman Empire, and we find ourselves in the same place in a lot of ways. Messy lives, messy things to deal with, sins and struggles, sufferings to look after, but also with great opportunities for the gospel to go forward in and through us both individually and as a church. And today, we want to take up a subject in 1 Corinthians, and I'm, I, I, I reserve the right for hyperbole, but there, there may be no subject that is more important to Western secular nations than what we're going to take up today. And that's really the subject of who are we? Who are we? And particularly, who are we as embodied people? What, what are we supposed to do with our bodies? Now, some of you may scratch your heads and say, well, uh, I don't really know what the big deal about that is. But if you look around in Western secular societies, this is one of the fundamental issues. And to sort of stir up your thinking about this and really to rouse you to some measure of compassion as well, uh, I want to just tell you about a man named Chris Beck. Some of you may have seen or heard of Chris Beck out there on social media. Chris Beck was in the military for 20 years, and he wasn't just in the military. He was a Navy SEAL, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Special Forces, Navy SEALs are considered sort of the elite tough of the elite. And Chris Beck wasn't just a Navy SEAL. He was also part of SEAL Team 6, which is the most secretive and elite of all the different SEAL teams. He had 13 different deployments overseas, and he ended up with a Bronze Star and a Purple Heart. And after 20 years, he came back to the United States. And I hope I've painted a real picture of a warrior man who's both smart and tough. And uh, as he sort of decompressed from his time in the military, uh, he came back to the fact that he used to fantasize about being in his sister's body, uh, having a different body. And he was sort of shunted off to the Veterans Administration, had a one-hour counseling session, and then was put on hormone blockers he was picked up by the media and became a media darling as he transitioned from being a man to being a woman. And uh, he had surgery, top surgery, chest and face, and uh, was, books were written about him and movies made. And now, nine years later, over the last couple of years, he has detransitioned and is very vehement about the fact that he was shuttled down a path Here's a strong guy, military leader, who was shuttled down a path, and he's sort of raising the flag to warn other people. Now, I don't want you to get hung up on gender identity because we want to make this broader than that, but the point of that is we are a people. You can take the strongest man who's most mature in his 40s or 50s, who absolutely has deep questions about who am I and what am I supposed to be in this place? And all of us, no matter how much you have had your worldview renewed uh, by the gospel, 
swim in that same soup. Who am I? And so then we tend to idolize our bodies. And unfortunately, the text that we're going to look at today has been used to do that. And so what you're fed all day long, and I want to make sure I get you guys' attention, okay? What you're fed all day long, you, you got me? I want to get your attention. What you're fed all day long is a certain view of your body that you can come to idolize, and then you can pour significant portions of your time and energy into replicating what you saw out there on social media or other places. It's idolatry. I'm saved by being buff. Or you can degrade your body. And you can say, well, what my body really is for is control. And I can show everybody that I'm in control by starving myself or purging myself. And folks, if you think these aren't problems, you need to get with some people between the ages of 12 and 25 or 30. Or you can say, uh, I have a lot of pain in my life, and I feel numb like a zombie. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll cut myself, and I'll inflict pain on myself that gives me a sense of aliveness. It's a kind of uh, anesthesia gone wrong. And we could go on. Uh, we can use our bodies just to pursue our various desires and lusts. Is that what they're for? And so here's the real tragedy of this. In a secular society, you're like a, a boat. You're put into a, a little raft, and you're cut loose from the, the dock, and you're pushed out into the ocean for the currents to take you wherever they may. And it's up to you. You figure it out. There's nothing transcendent. There's nothing from outside of you. There's nothing true. You make it up. You be whoever you want to be. And this is how we haven't served our children well. You can be anything that you want to be. Well, that's just not true. That's not true. And so here we find ourselves in the secular West lost about who we are. So with that kind of introduction, I hope that you'll take this and you'll think about ministry. How do I love people? How do I have compassion on people? How do I get close to them? How would I introduce the truth of these things to people? How does it change me and affect my own view of who I am? These are deeply personal and, and issues that evolve into ministry, we hope, by the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, let's look together at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. 
Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And that last command is really the takeaway message for this. We were made to glorify God with and in the bodies that he has given to us. And we really want to consider this. There are a lot of details in this this passage. There are a lot of questions that could be uh, addressed or attempts made to answer them. But we're going to try to make this as simple as possible and simply say your body is for the Lord. You are joined to Jesus Christ. That would be the second point. Your body's for the Lord, one. You're joined to Jesus Christ. And then you, you and your body are a temple of the Lord. Those three things. So we're going to make it simple in that way. Uh, look at the second part of verse 13. It says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. We'll come back to that later. But for the Lord. And I just want you to consider the profundity of that statement that is often overlooked. I give Dallas Willard credit for alerting me to what this verse is actually saying. The body is for the Lord. That's what's called a teleological statement. It has the big arc of where is this going in the end? Why do you have a body? Paul's saying your body is for the Lord. And here's this, this incredibly astounding big statement the Lord for the body the Lord Jesus for your body and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up those who are in Christ with new and glorified bodies so let's take a step back then and put this into the big picture the body is for the Lord God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He made them. He made them from the dust of the ground. We are dust. To dust we'll return. But he breathed into their nostrils a breath of life and gave them living souls. And so in terms of who you are, you really want to begin to embrace that by creation, you are body and soul. And in this life, you will never get out of being body and soul joined together. Now, because of sin, because of rebellion, Adam and Eve's, and and our entrance into that and participation in it, our bodies have become mortal. They're corrupted. They're decaying. And so what has God done? He has sent the eternal Son of God to become flesh to take on this same stuff of body to be crucified, buried, and then raised to life so that those who are joined to him might be raised with him with new and glorified bodies. So barring the return of Christ, you will die and your body will dissolve. But it's very important for you to understand your soul carries with it the character traits and faculties of your life. So in this embodied existence, you are becoming and are who you are that carries on in a non-bodily state. And then, and this is very important too, that we don't really take into account very well, and you can read it in, in John 5, everyone's going to be raised. 
Everybody, both the just and the unjust, are going to be raised, and soul and body are going to be joined together again forever. And some will be raised to eternal life, to peace and joy, and some will be raised to eternal torment and destruction of both body and soul. And so when Paul is saying this, God's desire for you is that you might be raised with Christ to eternal life. He doesn't desire that anyone perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's the message of the gospel. And so it says here that the Lord has been raised by the power of the Father, and he also will raise, and this is talking about believers, those who are in Christ. In fact, the Bible says you've already been raised on the inside, even though you're in a mortal body, and he will give life to those mortal bodies. I'm quoting from Romans at that point. So what difference does this make? How does this sort of impact where we are in the West today? And, and what I want to say to you is that your body, and, and you've got to follow me on this, it gets a little bit complicated, but I know you can do it. Your body brings to you both agency and constraint. Agency and constraint. And I just want to illustrate that a little bit. Uh, there's a fella named Sean Doherty, and Nancy Piercy, the author, tells his story in Love Your Body. Sean Doherty apparently grew up in a believing home, and from his earliest memories, he was attracted to people of the same sex. He was same-sex attracted. So as he went through his young years and into his teenage years, he was taught the scriptures and everything, and he came to this conclusion is that my body gives me certain constraints about who I am, and I don't know how to get away from using the term ontologically, you know, who I am in my being, who I am in the biggest view of, of the universe is that I am a man, and there's certain aspects of that that are presented to me in the scriptures as well as by nature that any sexual expression that I have has to go in a heterosexual direction. And so he simply began to say to himself, I'm going to let who God made me in my body constrain what I think. I'm not going to let my imaginations and my thinking just be tethered loose out there, untethered out there in the ocean floating around. I'm going to tie it down to reality. And what began to happen then is that he began to change. His views and things began to change. And Sean Doherty is a follower of Christ. He still has, as married and with three children, same-sex attraction problems. It's an ongoing repentance for him. But he has decided that I'm going to be constrained and my agency in the world is going to follow what is really real. And you see how that's just a complete, that's just almost a complete overturning of this idea that you're cut loose out there. You're your own. You figure it out on your own. And so we just want to say, you and I, our neighbors and everybody around us, are made in the image of God. And that gives us agency and constraint. What do I mean by agency? Now we want to turn this sort of in a really positive direction. In your mind and heart and in your soul is contained your character and who you are and who you are becoming, either in Christ or outside of Christ. And then your body is the agency or the powerhouse, the energy, 
It has the mitochondria. It has the muscle contractions for you to exert yourself in the world. And just as, as the Lord is omnipresent everywhere and by decreeing something can have it happen anywhere in the universe, your soul is like that in your body. Again, on all this, I give footnotes to Dallas Willard. Really helpful to, to clarify this. And so that your body then, during this life, your soul and body are intertwined and your body gives the energy for you to act out your character, whether good or bad or indifferent. That's agency. And think about what that means. That means if you're convinced that my body is for the Lord, your agency can be for good and for the Lord. Your agency is to be good and for the Lord. And then your body also gives you constraint. And we want to say very clearly that understood constraint is freedom. Understood constraint is freedom. And so I would say, you know, you're either you're male or female. Don't give me the two or three exceptions. That you're male or female. You are 6'8 and 300 pounds, or you're 5'10 and 170. And you know, I've told you this before. Man, I used to lay in bed and dream about playing football. I had little black and white books, great linebackers of the NFL, big quarterbacks. I ate that stuff. I drank that stuff. You know, I had, when I was probably in the first or second grade, it was kind of embarrassing now I look back on it. I had a whole football uniform that was given to me, and I bust out on Christmas Day in the yard, helmet, pads, the whole thing. And everybody else has got like fire trucks and, you know, whatever they have. And I'm standing there, there's nobody to play with, but, you know, I've got my uniform on. And so I can think... And I want you to get this. It's a little bit humorous, but it's actually quite a slavery. It's quite a slavery for me to pine away for 10 years to be something that I'm not going to be. And I just remember when I had epicondylitis and I was trying to pitch baseball. And my, my doctor, who probably was a man after my own heart, just casually said, look, you're not going to play pro baseball. Oh, man hurt me so bad. Like, you know, I was like the fourth or fifth pitcher down the line on a 2A team. I wasn't going to play pro baseball, right? But somebody had, somebody had to, to say that. So there's constraint in this, and then constraint's big freedom. That means you get to go and run in the track that God made you. And you can be thankful for it, and you can rejoice in it, and you cannot waste all your time and energy trying to be things that you're not. And this is, the, this is the, the positive, beautiful message that we want to give to, to young people. Come out of the wilderness. Take the raft that, that you were shoved off in uh, out into the ocean to figure out who you are and come back and say, my body is for the Lord. This is what I was made for, and this is what I really want to walk in. So your body's for the Lord. That brings with it constraint and agency that gives you freedom. But the second thing that we want to see in this text, see, anybody could say that. Anybody should be able to say that. You read the book of Genesis, and you read Psalm 139, that you were knit together in your mother's womb, and you don't even have to know Jesus to say that, right? A Jewish person can say that. But this text goes on to say something more. Since, since your body's for the Lord, it is to be indwelt by Christ. Look at what he says, verse 17. 
He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And in terms of sexual immorality, he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And so what we have here in two sentences is this doctrine of union with Christ. And if you're here today, the invitation to you is to believe on the Lord Jesus and be joined to him, body and soul. He was crucified. He was buried. He was raised. Your sins can be forgiven. Christ himself comes to dwell in your heart, all as a gift given to you by faith. Forgiveness, counted righteous, son or daughter of God, and dwelt by Christ. And that means, and there's a mystical aspect of this that I can't explain, that I don't know. I know that Christ can dwell in your heart by the Holy Spirit, but we're also considered joined to him just like in marriage. That two people are joined together as one flesh that still maintain distinct physical bodies. That were joined to Christ. And when he returns, all the dead in Christ will be raised. That's how literal the body is joined to Jesus. He will bring you out of the ground reconstituted with a new and glorified body to eternal life. If you believe. If not, you'll come out to face judgment as we mentioned. So this whole thing then of being united with Christ is that I'm not left on my own with constraint and agency. Very important. If you're in Christ, you're not even left on your own with the constraints of your body and its agency. You are given power by Christ to live out his life in and through you. And you just want to stop for a minute and marvel at the joy of that. Out of this whole universe, God would seek you out so that that he could live out, that Christ could live out his life in and through you. With all your constraints, with all your weaknesses, within your personality structure, all the things that are there in repentance and faith that you would be able to follow him for the furtherance of his kingdom. What What a joy. I think I've told you this story before, but I'll probably tell it a few more times. Uh, There's a fellow named Paul Watson, and he is promoting Discovery Bible Studies in the United States, trying to get disciple-making movements to go. Discovery Bible Studies are simply this. You, You story your way with secular people who don't know anything about the Bible. You story your way from creation uh, through to the New Covenant, to Christ and beyond. And this is what you do in primitive pagan cultures as well. It's, it's, it's a very um, tried and true method of evangelism and discipleship. Anyway, out in Dallas, there were three guys meeting with a Discovery Bible study practitioner. And they had never read anything about the Bible. They didn't know anything. They hadn't gone to church. They were just out there on their own. They were true Western secular people. And so they, where do you start with your Discovery Bible study? Well, why not start at the beginning? So he's got three guys sitting there, don't know anything about anything, and um, they tell the story of Genesis 1. One of them tells the story of Genesis 1. And in that story, it says, God made them, God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he made them. That part of it. And so in Discovery Bible Studies, you simply tell the story, and you've been praying and praying and praying that the Holy Spirit would make disciples of Jesus. And you simply ask the question, what should you do in response to this story? 
What should you do in the response to this story, and who should you go tell the story to? Who are the five people you're going to tell this to before we meet again next week? In response to this story, one of the men in that room said, I think in response to this passage, I have to quit visiting prostitutes. Nobody prompted him. Nobody read the rest of the Bible with him. It's a Holy Spirit, God thing that he did there. Now, so this young man now has the beginning of conviction about sin and understanding creation and who God made people to be. But as you know, that's not the end of the story, right? Because that's not the whole gospel. So eventually, as they story along, and this is my little beef with, uh, with Discovery Bible Studies, I'm going to go ahead and introduce Christ to that person on that day, where, you know, however the methodology is supposed to work, is to say, look, it's not just enough that you understand that you've been doing the wrong thing and that it's, it's contrary to creation and it defaces the image of God and a woman and all these things. You need a new life. You need Jesus. You need, you need to be forgiven and you need to be indwelt because there's a positive side to this. And the positive side is by the power of Christ, your good desires for sexuality are to be carried out in a one-man, one-woman relationship committed for life. That you can glorify God, you'll be a picture of the risen Christ in the church in your life going forward. And this is, this is the privilege that we have. That do you, Are you on board with this today? That what your calling is, your body is for the Lord, the Lord for the body, If you're in Christ, you've been joined to him, which means you're out for his glory, Christ in you. And that's to define all the moments and days of our lives. And I I say it with zeal up here, and I say it with conviction because it's true, and you forget about it about every five minutes, right? That this this is the reality that I need to keep coming back to is that I have been joined to Christ. I've been united with him and I have power to walk in newness of life. So my my question to everybody today is, are you joined to Christ? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Or are you still under the wrath of God? You can sit in church and you can come to church and you can even falsely fool yourself and take the Lord's Supper and not be joined to Christ. We really want to ask ourselves this question, is that a reality for you, or are you just playing religion? Is there true and sincere faith in Christ that I can honestly say, I see the movements of the Holy Spirit in my life applying Scripture so that I am living out the life of Christ for His glory in my circumstances with the constraints and agency that God has given me? That's the invitation of this passage. And so you can see then how Paul is just, it's the same way as last week. How could it possibly be? That was for last week about suing one another in court. How could it possibly be? And he says the same thing here. How could you possibly have in your thinking, heart, and mind that you're joined to Christ and then take Christ and join him to a prostitute? And I think you can, you can make that bigger about sexual immorality having to do with pornography and auto-gratification and all other manner of things that my body was built for something else. 
And then we want to make that even, even bigger. This goes to the worshiping of or degrading of the body. If your body's joined to Christ, the key thing is, are you living for his glory? I just read this morning that, um, don't ask me why. You can say, Chuck, you're off track. I get medical stuff. 51% of hospitalists, these are doctors who are hospitalists, are on a diet. Doesn't that reflect a little bit of obsession about things? We're, we're twisted in the West. And all you have to do is to go somewhere out of the West to see just how twisted we are. To idolize my body. And then with, with great compassion, we would say to some of our young people and others, to torture your body, to make it a, make it a, a locus of, of suffering, to hate your body because it's decaying and suffering. You see, being united with Christ gives us the consolation and the joy in all these things. It's to say, I'm headed to be raised with Christ. New life started, new life completed on the day of his return. So let's, this is what we've said so far, is that your body's for the Lord. The empowerment of that, the joy of it, the glory of it comes in faith and repentance and union with Christ. And then we have even this, this grander perspective that Paul says, do you see, don't you see that your body is a temple? Your body is a temple. And again, this has been twisted. Boy, I remember being in seminary in 19-whatever, 81 or whatnot. Here's somebody just go after us about push-ups and are you keeping that temple in shape kind of thing? And whatever. You have to be a steward of your body, right? We're saying don't beat it. But it's also not about being buff, right? So when I say your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit... We want to define that and see what it means. This is what he says, verse 19. Or Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Here's the key thing. You're not your own. If you're in Christ, you're not your own. Why? Because you were bought back, body and soul, by an atoning sacrifice. There was a purchase price to bring you out from under sin and judgment and death and the blinding power of Satan. And this is what Christ has done. And it came at a price. The wages of sin are death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That Jesus had to pay this price. So therefore, since you were bought with a price, you belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And the emphasis here that I want to talk about is being a temple of the Holy Spirit. What was the temple all about? What's a temple? Temple's a place where people meet God, right? The Lord built a temple. What's it for? In the Old Covenant, worship. We're just going to say worship. Sacrifice. There's no more sacrifices because Christ fulfilled them all. But it's a place of worship, and it's a place of glory. And so we just want to go back and rehearse. We read this earlier. Uh, Moses, coming out in the desert, got all kinds of instructions about the tabernacle. 
And they built this beautiful tabernacle, outer court, inner court, holy place, uh, incense, lampstands, all this stuff. And when it was all finished and it was all atoned for, what happened? The glory cloud came and settled on the temple. God was saying, my glory resides particularly in this place. Be careful because I'm holy. Don't just go barging into the holy place. And then the same thing happens at the temple of Solomon. That when they dedicate the temple in Jerusalem, the glory cloud comes and settles on it. God's glory is there. And now we find, this is the fulfillment of the New Testament, is that the glory cloud rests on you. It rests on us as a church. And we don't seem very glorious, and you just have to go back and look at the mercy of God in the Old Covenant. You've got this ragtag bunch of people. They want manna. I mean, they want quail. They haven't had any meat. They don't have any water. They're grumbling against God. Moses is gone for 40 days, and they make a calf. Actually, they don't make the calf. Aaron says it just jumped out of the fire. Not sure how that happened. Just this idol comes up, and we had to worship it. They have all these problems. And God disciplines them and he brings them into the promised land because his glory is resting on them. And Peter comes to say the same thing. He says, when you suffer as a Christian, when you suffer, the spirit of God and of glory rests on you. Saint, you go look that up in 1 Peter. The spirit of God and of glory rests on you. So then what, what is your main role? Now, the applications of this could really flow out. But you know, the preachers always give you pretty much their applications in some ways, right? Um, my primary application of this is there a worship service going on in this temple on Monday morning and Wednesday morning? Now, some of you are really happy. Rick, he probably has a worship service going on there all the time, right? Because he's happy. And he's always thankful. Some of us, that's not the case. So this is a big place of repentance, isn't it? Not talking about being plastic, not talking about putting on a front, but genuinely having praise to God going on in this temple where other people who come can see and interact with your praise, and they might even be able to enter into that temple relationship as well. And then finally, in the end, what we're going to find is that there's no temple in the New Jerusalem. The Lord is there. It's all fulfilled. Glorified bodies, glory of God resting on the people of God in the New Jerusalem. So, brothers and sisters, today we have, this, we have this privilege, we have this opportunity. Where does it leave you? Like Discovery Bible study, what is the Lord asking you to put on or put off this day? Do you know Jesus? Is your body a temple of the Holy Spirit? All these questions come to us and then with whom are you going to share this good news? Which person that's out there drifting in the ocean of Western secularism can you tell this story to? May God bless us as we are his agents in the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this text. And Lord, we, um, those of us in Christ, we belong to you. Will you have your way with us? Oh God, will you have your way with us? Will you shape us and mold us individually and as a church? May we walk out and live out more persistently our union with Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.